Okay, how is everyone today? Are you ready for the Word of God? Even if uh, God stands on your toes this morning? If He does, then you need it. Well, probably He will this morning. So let's see. But He'll do it without breaking the toes usually. Might be a little bit of bruising, but you'll soon get over that. We talk about Jesus coming. Jesus is going to come when you and I do the work that he's assigned us to do. And part of that work is to mingle in society, to have the spiritual antenna up there and be looking for opportunities to bless humanity. That's what we're going to talk around this morning. But to make any sense of what I'm going to say, we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I need that for speaking. You need that for hearing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the one altogether lovely, the lily of the valley, the brighter morning star. We thank you, Lord, that he would come to this dark, sinful world and die on the cross. So that whoever here this morning believes in him shall have everlasting life. Lord, this life from Jesus is so dynamic and so exciting. How can we not share Jesus with others? So give us grateful hearts, Lord, attentive minds and hearts now as we hear your word and the challenge to, to go out into our society and spread the love of Jesus. This is our prayer in his name. Amen. Okay, this passage that we looked at, Matthew chapter 18, the verses that were read is your scripture reading, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, are called the Great Commission. Uh, Karen says, what's the title of your sermon? I never know what titles of sermons are. Never figured that out after 25 years of being in the ministry. So I said, sharing Jesus. Notice the setting, the context. Whoops. We always need the context. And the context is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, as I said in my prayer a moment ago, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. How many of you believe in that? But you know, a man dying on a cross was not unusual in first century Palestine. So what's special about Jesus' death? Well, one of the things that's special is this man rose from the dead. The Bible teaches that Christ had power within himself to rise from the dead. The Bible also says God raised him from the dead. So Jesus rose from the dead, and in a number of ways, he appeared to the disciples, sometimes to a few people, sometimes to a handful of people, and sometimes to a group as, as perhaps as many as 500. And as he appears to them, of course, they have to have a a reality check, paradigm shift, or whatever we want to call it, because this man, all their hopes were, were, were in him, they were dashed when he died on the cross. They didn't understand, even though Jesus had told them many times that, that he would be raised from the dead, they didn't understand that, but now here he is, right before their eyes, and some doubted. So when you struggle with doubts, just realize that some of his disciples were literally within, within a stone's throw of Jesus, 
and they still had problems. They, they probably believed, but they were still, how can it be so? It's impossible. And the resurrection is still the cornerstone of Christianity. Disprove the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. Many people have tried to do that very thing. And yet here we go, millions and millions of people believe and continue to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The best way to know if you have a living Christ is to have a relationship with him. You can read all sorts of things in the Bible, and I encourage you to do that. Gather all the books in your library that you possibly can that draw you closer to God. Read them all. And it still will not suffice unless you have a living relationship with Jesus. Adam could not have made the statement in that children's story, relieve the pain in this man's heart, unless there was a living Christ. God gave him that word of knowledge. Do you believe that God gives his gifts to children? Yeah, we don't really understand enough of that. We don't experiment enough of that. Any of you that are parents and that have children, I'd encourage you, if you really want those children to to grow in Christ the right and a balanced way, you have to find uh, acts of ministry that they can be involved in. The church needs to create them or you as parents need to create them so that these children can learn that God, that God is real. If a child learns that God is real, I don't care how far they stray, God will get them on track eventually. Train up a child in the way that they should go. Well, that means more than just head knowledge. It means hard, experiential encounter with God. Anyway, in verse 16, it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Jesus, before he died, had told them where to go. None of this was an accident, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. All was the plan of God. The only way that the human race could be saved. If there's any man or woman, boy or girl here today who doubts that God forgives them their sins, well, I confront you with the living Christ. The living Christ who died for you and now lives for you and wants to do amazing things in your life. Do you believe that as well? And if this church here in Anderson is going to have the life and the vitality that God wants it to have, then the life of Christ has to flow through us and out to others. When I traveled in the Middle East and actually lived there for a while, uh, you'd visit a place called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea gathers, but does not put out. There's no outlet for it. And so it becomes heavy with salt, and as you no doubt know, you can float on it, you can lie on your back, you can read a newspaper, read a book, and the tourists just love to do things like that. Uh, it's just a, a very, very interesting place. But in a, in a sense, it's a dead place. Not much living there because there's no outlet. You and I have to have an outlet. Christ is pouring his life through us, but where is it going to? It can't stay in the pews. I know some of you have favorite pews here. I have not dared to sit in your favorite pew yet. That is Harry Carey for a pastor. 
but it can't stay in the pew. It can't stay in your life. Do you receive blessings from God? You should all be happy and smiling today because of the blessings. Count your blessings. But those blessings have to be shared. Some of you are really good at doing that, and others need some help. In fact, I think Carol Hodges was dropping a hint today to me. She gave me this magazine, Enjoy. Well, she hasn't actually given me the magazine. Is Carol here this morning? Enjoy, Northern California Living, February 2011. And right on the top there, random acts of kindness. And I have to remind Carol, I did not invent that phrase. Even though you'll hear it from my lips from this point on. I can't think of a, of a more practical way for a church to be a blessing in society and thereby extend the kingdom of God than going out and doing random acts of kindness. And I know that some of you are really good at following these kinds of principles. And they, uh, it says here, who benefits more from a random act of kindness? The recipients of these good deeds get something really nice, unexpectedly. But the giver gets to feel great for making someone happy for a while. And so then they share some of these stories that people have sent in. And I know that some of you do this already because you've told me. Pay for the person behind you when you go through a drive through How many of you do that? How many of you wouldn't even think of doing that? Uh, now, come on, be honest. Paying for a meal at a restaurant for a homeless person. It's not usually smart to give that homeless person money. Of course, that's between you and God. And hopefully, he'll show you what to do. But when I was in Oakland, an urban area that had a lot of needs, and the homeless would come, I'd say, well, let's go for a meal. They'd tell me they were hungry. Well, if you're hungry, you need food, right? No. If you're hungry, you need money to buy booze. In their thinking. So I take them into a restaurant, and uh, it's not unusual for them to sit there, and they cannot even eat. The issue is not always physical hunger, is it? There's other, other things that they might need that money for. And then they list uh, even Reading Reformed Fellowship. Anybody know where that church is? Arranged more than two weeks of meals for our family after I gave birth to our third child. So they list 10 random acts of kindness here. And I have others. Um that I could list and share with you, and the list is only as large as your imagination. In the children's story, we used one act of kindness, cutting people's lawns. Simple enough thing to do, but don't be surprised if God doesn't break through in these simple acts of kindness. Well, the 11 disciples, they're there in Galilee. I've been there in Galilee, swam in the lake there, just a beautiful place, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's what you do. If Jesus is God, if Jesus is divine, then Jesus should be worshipped, right? That, again, was a hard thing for a Jewish person. Yahweh, 
should be worshipped. But Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus should be worshipped, and that's what they did. But some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, my first question is, who is this commission for? Is it a 2,000-year-old commission for a few chosen disciples? Or does it include you and I? Maybe this commission is just for pastors or just for evangelists. This commission is for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. If you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, sharing Jesus in whatever context you live, whatever circumstances you live, the circumstances in which you're in are really not the issue. Now, I suppose it might be a bit frustrating if you're on a desert island alone and you have to witness to the birds. But most of us are not in situations like that. And maybe the Lord will send you a castaway just so you have someone to witness to. There's a tremendous fear factor for many Christians in sharing Jesus. We have big egos, right? There's a lot of pride there in our lives. Those things have to go. And witnessing and sharing and acts of kindness in our community can help you deal with some of these problems that we have as far as our character development. Where is the emphasis in this passage? Some have put the emphasis on go. But that's not where the emphasis is in the Greek. Now, you may not be able to figure that out from an English Bible, but in the Greek, you'd be able to figure that out. The, the emphasis is on making disciples. Making disciples. So what comes into your mind when you think of a disciple? Okay, is a disciple... Someone who goes to church? Nah, maybe, maybe not. Um, I wonder which church the disciples went to because it wasn't that long before they were put out of the synagogue. So then they'd be meeting in one another's houses. Do you feel comfortable turning your house into a church? Do you want all those dusty sandals in your home? The emphasis is not on the go, even though that is, is very important. The imperative is on making disciples. When we talk about making disciples, we're not talking about getting converts. We're not talking about notches on our belt. We're talking about God using us to lead someone to Christ, perhaps, maybe, at least sharing Jesus, that's where you start, isn't it? Whether you share through an act of kindness, through words or whatever, you try and bring Christ to the individual. And amazingly, believe it or not, some people respond. And those who respond and commit themselves to Jesus Christ, you, is your job finished then? 
No, it's just beginning. And it's a very exciting process. Those of you that have never experienced, gone through this process, uh, I just want to tell you it can be a very exciting thing. So you, you're used by God to share Jesus in some way, shape, or form. An individual responds, well, why, why, why are you being so kind to me? I have one story with me of a lady that was, I believe she was in a nursing home, and the church, the local church, had decided that the children would bring flowers to certain people at the nursing home. So this lady got a bunch of flowers, and it was children who brought the flowers. Now there's some wisdom, some strategy there. Most people won't say to children, shove your flowers, right? I mean, it just doesn't go together. They'll usually say, well, thanks, even if they don't mean it. But this lady really meant it. I mean, it touched her heart big time. When she was out of the hospital, nursing home, or wherever she was, she attended that church. She became a member of that church. And she would sit in that church and she would weep. And they would say, well, we thought we were a happy bunch of people. Why are you weeping? And she would always weep because she would think of that, those little children with those bunch of flowers. And they must have come just at the right time in her life when she needed that. Boom, there was a connection. And the Holy Spirit helped that woman to find her place in Christ's kingdom. I have this story which I thought was a, a neat one about how can God use little old me to help people and, and do acts of kindness for them. One story that I have is a lady called Renee Garcia, 24-year-old mother of two, two preschoolers, full-time nanny to two other children, director of student ministries at Nashville Evangelical Covenant Church. Lady has a busy life, don't you think so? But her favorite part of the day is when she goes out to R-A-O-K. R-A-O-K. She wants to R-A-O-K her world. What on earth does that mean? R-A-O-K. -okay. Well, didn't I just hold a magazine up with you from another source, from Carol, gave it me this morning? Random acts of kindness. R-A-O-K. -okay. Have any of you got it yet? Random acts of kindness. God puts people in our lives every day for us to touch. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we became seven days Adventists. So many times we're too busy and we miss those opportunities. So Garcia believes that R-A-O-K, doing something nice for other people with no expectation of anything in return, is simply living out the compassionate and unselfish attitude that Jesus expects of his followers. People were drawn to Christ, not because he stood on a mountain and preached, but because he filled their needs, he fed them, he healed them, he touched lives. People may be more open to hearing about the gospel as they see us modeling Christ's behavior, she says. 
And so then she gives the, the I'm just not going to read the whole thing, but then she gives us 15 ways to R-A-O-K someone's world. So I want to ask you this morning, are you ready to R-A-O-K someone? All right, here's some ways. Leave a roll of quarters at the laundromat. Leave a large tip at a restaurant. It's amazing how many Christians are stingy. I'm not joking. You ask the servers, you ask the people who work in restaurants, they don't want the Christians. They're too stingy. It's okay for a widow to bring a mite in, but don't bring it into the restaurant. Mow a neighbor's lawn, we talked about that. Pay for a stranger's dry cleaning. Pay for the person behind you at the drive-thru. Leave grocery gift cards in a mailbox. Plow or shovel the snow from a neighbor's driveway. Well, I'll do that because we don't ever get snow in our neighborhood. Pay for somebody's gas at the pump. Make dinner for a needy family. Stop to help change a flat tire. Pay rent for a family in need. Hand out water or sports drinks at a biking trail. Buy school supplies for a kid in need. She means a child there. Feed parking meters and scrape snow off car windows in the winter. And we can go on and on and on. In fact, one of my favorite um, the books that I've been reading on evangelism and outreach and so on, and of course there are hundreds, if not thousands of them. One of the, one of the most helpful that I've found um, is by a, a, a pastor called Steve, and Pastor Steve has built congregations. Now, it doesn't always work, and so there's, there's no magic formula here. We're not trying to give you a formula, but really get into the heart of Christ. So he would go to places like Norway. He has a Norwegian family background, and he would work out some of these things, trying to grow churches. Where he's been most successful are in places like Cincinnati, and now I believe he's in Florida. And we're talking now of t taking a small group of people, 20, 30 people, getting them to buy in. This is the hard part for some Christians, to buy into the idea of being a truly kind community, church community. And those that buy in are the nucleus of the church. So it takes essentially a handful of people and can end up with a congregation of 5,000. Now that's a big jump, don't you think? Would you like 5,000 here at Anderson? That would be half of the population of the city, of the town, right? Approximately. All built around going out and doing kind things for people. It's a totally different picture than you normally get when pastors talk about evangelism, or at least Seventh-day Adventists, when they talk about evangelism. We're still uh, depending on the evangelist riding into town on his white stallion, doing his thing so amazingly well. Well, wouldn't you be good at something if you'd done it 500 times? And then driving out, leaving a, a trail of dust behind. And the church members take about a year to get over that, come to terms with that, and hopefully they have some, some converts from that. Praise God for when some do come in. But is that the biblical way? If you have to make a choice somewhere, and maybe you don't, maybe we can have lots and lots of options, I'm sure we can, 
but surely the real most important thing we should focus on is church members who are filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Spirit of God, getting out and doing nice things in their community. Do nice things for people, win people with kindness, and somehow, some way, God will use that to His honor and to His glory. I have a picture here. You won't be able to see it if I lift it up, but it's an article in, in to, today's Christian. Uh, ABC's Extreme Makeover. Any of you ever seen that program on TV, Extreme Makeover? Um, I don't know the background. I don't know if they are Christians or not. All I know is that they're getting on national television doing acts of kindness for other people. Is it possible that the world can sometimes be ahead of the church? I think our words have to be backed up with our actions. Lord, I have so little to give back to you, Susan prayed one morning at church. It seems like I'm always asking you to meet my needs or answer my prayers. But Lord, what can I do for you? You know, one of the attitudes I like about Vic in our congregation is from the first day I've known him, He's always said, just use me any way you can, Pastor. There's something special about an attitude like that, and I believe that Susan had that attitude here. Susan, a single mom of three teenagers, is finding it hard to cope with her children's emotional needs and her precarious financial situation. Nevertheless, she longed to serve God in a way that made a difference for eternity, even though she had so little spare time to give. Is that a problem for God? No, from a human point of view, it doesn't seem to work out, but not from God's perspective. The answer seems so simple, she could pray. So Susan committed to pray, to pray during her 45-minute commute from New Hampshire to her place of employment in Vermont. Lord, will you give me some people to pray for, she asked as she drove to work. I don't even have to know their needs, just let me know just let me know who they are. And Susan arrived at Mary Meyer Corporation, a company that makes stuffed animals. She was in charge of accounts receivable, a task including opening the mail and preparing the bank deposits. She opened one envelope and found a note attached to a check, which said, I'm sorry this payment is late. I've been seriously ill. Thank you, Beverly Thompson. You want me to pray for her, don't you, Lord? And so began Susan's journey of praying for Beverly Thompson. At first, she found it awkward to pray for someone she didn't know. She knew that Beverly owned a bookstore in Maine where she ordered the company's plush animals to sell. But how old was she? Was she married? Did she have any children? Was her illness terminal? Sometimes as Susan prayed for Beverly, she found herself in tears. She prayed that Jesus would give Beverly comfort for whatever she had to endure. She pled for strength and courage for her to accept things that she might find hard to face. A month or two passed, and Susan considered sending Beverly a card. This was risky. She could lose her job if Beverly was offended and complained to the company. Lord, I've grown to love Beverly Thompson, Susan prayed one morning. I know you'll take care of me no matter what happens. In her first card, Susan told Beverly 
a little about herself. Now she had asked the Lord for, for specific people to pray for. And then she mentioned how she came across her name. She also said that God knew what Beverly was going through and loved her deeply. Beverly never answered that letter, nor did she respond to the subsequent notes and cards that Susan mailed that summer. But Susan never stopped praying for Beverly, even telling her Tuesday night Bible study group about the, her story. Susan really was hoping Beverly would respond. She was curious what Beverly thought about this stranger and her stream of notes. Did Beverly think she was completely crazy? Did she hope that Susan would stop? Six months passed. On a bitterly cold January evening, the phone rang. Mom, it's for you. Who is it, Susan asked. She was tired after a long day. Actually, it had been a long month. Her car had died five days before Christmas, and she had lost a week's pay due to illness. It's someone named Bob Thompson. Bob Thompson? At first, the name didn't register, but then Susan remembered, yes, Beverly Thompson. It must be her husband. She took the phone from her son. Her hands became clammy. I know why he's calling. He's calling to tell me to stop bothering his wife. They probably think I'm a religious cook. Hello, Mr. Thompson, her voice squeaked. Hello, Susan, he replied. My daughter and I have just been going through my wife's things, and we found your cards and notes along with your phone number. We wanted to call and let you know how much they meant to Beverly before she died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, we found your cards and notes tied up with a red ribbon. I know she must have read them because they look very worn. Well, that's very nice, Mr. Thompson. Can you tell me more about your wife? Well, at the age of 48, Beverly was diagnosed with lung cancer, which spread to her brain. She never suffered any pain at all, and I know that this was the result of your prayers. And then Mr. Thompson answered the question on Susan's heart. You may be wondering about this, he said, but our relationship with God amounted to going to church once in a while. Church was nothing that had much effect on our lives, but that changed after Beverly began receiving your notes. I want you to know that she asked to be baptized two weeks before she passed away. The night before Beverly died, she told me it was okay for her to die because she was going to be with her Lord. Because Susan, this article ends, was willing to be obedient to God, she had made an eternal difference to a woman that she never knew. I chose that story to show you how simple it can be. Simple as far as praying for a stranger, somebody that you do not know, you've not seen, and maybe never will see. But when the Lord moves upon your heart, when you feel as a Christian, Lord, there must be some way I can make a difference for eternity. I'm not placed on this earth just to get through the pearly gates myself. I'm placed on this earth to bring somebody with me. And when the Lord lays that burden upon your heart and you're willing to be used, it really doesn't matter your circumstances in life. I have known about people, Christians, who have been bedridden and started sending notes and letters to people in need. Perhaps 
prisoners somewhere locked up, people they hardly knew. And that has gone from some little village, some small town somewhere to become a worldwide ministry. Now most of us, at least in this room, are not yet bedridden. We can go in our neighborhood, wherever the Lord lays the burden for us to minister, and we can make a difference for eternity. The promise that we have here is a very powerful one. After we read about teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, we have one of the greatest promises anywhere in Scripture. It's a promise that sustained the great missionary David Livingstone when he lost his wife and she was buried there in Africa. Didn't know how he was going to raise his children. It's a promise that sustained him when the lion tore, tore off his arm. It's a promise that sustained him when his body was riddled through with many, many diseases. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The promise, however, is given to those who will go and make disciples. The Spirit of God somehow works powerfully on the cutting edge of soul winning and evangelism. Whatever form that takes, if you're willing, if you have a heart that's willing to be used by God, then God is going to lay some person on your heart. And then he expects you to do your random acts of kindness, your simple gestures of prayer, intercession, whatever form it takes to minister to those individuals. I have no doubt whatsoever that if each one of us took this sermon and this, these words of Jesus seriously, this church would be overflowing. This church cannot grow unless you and I mingle in society and come back into our church community and share the good things that God has done for us. And I will give you opportunities to do that very thing. And I know that God is waiting for a response from the Anderson church family. How many of you are committed to follow the words of Jesus Christ this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you see our hands, you know our hearts. And we've chosen to use a somewhat simple, humble illustration that you did in this lady's life, Lord, to pray for somebody that she really didn't know, just a name on a piece of paper. But Lord, that seems to have turned into a candidate for your kingdom. There is no limit. We don't want to put any limits on you, Lord. You can use every person in this room, no matter how mixed up we are, you can use us to your honor and to your glory. So Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you this morning. And may this church, may the roof of this church, the halls of this building ring with praise to you for using us in some small way to advance your kingdom. We thank you and we praise you for Jesus that he came to seek and to save the lost. 
Give us the same burden. Make it a reality. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.